Hello, and welcome to another episode of Pre-Lunch by the Peak, the podcast where we talk to people way smarter than us about the topics that matter most across Canadian business, economics, and policy. I'm your co-host, Sarah Bartnika. And I'm Taylor Scollin. So Taylor, markets seem to have this week shaken off this slight dip that we saw immediately following the most recent rounds rounds of inflation data from the US and Canada. Uh, Inflation not really budging from the 3% mark. There's a lot of negativity kind of around that. But uh, stocks seem to kind of now be back on the up. Trend is reversing. S&P is up almost 6% on the year as a recording. And I think the TSX is up around 2.4%. I think you're seeing stocks doing well. You're seeing a lot of negativity in the headlines. And I'm having trouble squaring the two. Taylor, what has been your sense of the headlines? Yeah, totally. I mean, you always you read a ton of negative stories. Uh, and stories forecasting impending doom, uh, you know, especially after this week when, you know, what seemed to me like a pretty narrow CPI miss turned into people saying, you know, rates are going to be high forever. And, uh, this is a big problem for the markets. Like, I think it was an overreaction. Uh, and I think that's been borne out by what's happened for the rest of the week where they've kind of turned around, but yeah, there's so much economic news right now and uncertainty that, I think it's easy to be uh, scared about what's going to happen. Completely. Well, we're going to get to the bottom of that, I hope, today. And we have the perfect guest to talk about it. Uh, Brian Belsky is the chief investment strategist and leader of the investment strategy group at BMO Capital Markets. He provides strategic investment and portfolio management advice to both institutional and private clients. Brian, thank you so much for joining us on Free Lunch. It's delicious so far. How many people started off that way ever? No one. You're the first. See, you're the there first you go. one. You need the, you need the token crazy American that's been working for a Canadian company for 12 years. So it just it takes a minute. <laughs> we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Let's start. Let's start big picture, Brian. Uh, what are you watching most closely in markets right now? You know, I think, man, it's kind of cool being right. Uh, I, I like that. And, and what's really interesting is, is you know, we, based on our conversations with institutional clients, and, I, and I'll explain what that is. And then our high net worth clients, and then watching the media, um, I think people are starting to kind of come around to the way that we've been thinking in the last couple of years. And we're very humble to say that we've called markets for the majority of our career correctly. 2022 was a terrible year. Uh, with much humility, we were we were wrong, uh, and uh, we like to be positive, and and but. I think we were positive a little bit too early in the timing of what was going on in 2022 just didn't pan out until kind of later in the year be that as it may we're starting to hear more people talk about things the way that we talk about things meaning more about companies more about stocks more about broadening out of the markets in both the united states and canada um less and less about recession which um i think is amazing uh, you know, we've been on record by saying, you know, don't need to have a recession. Everyone's waiting for the recession. Um, and, but the one thing that still bothers me, Sarah, is that um, most investors we speak to remain so much, so, so macro oriented. So what do I mean by that? Well, we live by a couple of different rules. And one of them is stocks, lead earnings, which lead the economy. Stocks, lead earnings, which lead the economy. Stock market efficiently is going to tell you what's going to happen going forward. And everyone kind of, I think the majority of people quite frankly, are doing the opposite. We're so focused and fixed in what the Fed's going to say in Fed funds futures uh, to CPI this week, to weak retail sales, to GDP. Um, we're going to focus on that, even though most of those statistics happened yesterday or last quarter or last year. 
and we become so reactive and so short-term oriented. That kind of is the first layer of the onion that people are so focused on. I'm, I'm well, how we started this is what we're watching and what is encouraging me that more people are talking about stocks. After all, the stock market in Canada is a market of stocks. The stock market in the United States is a market of stocks. We've forgotten that stocks are actually companies and that's what you invest in. You don't invest in CPI or PPI or ISM or GDP or whatever. You invest in great companies. And so we're starting to see a little bit of that. It's starting to make me feel like, I, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. Yeah. Um, I'm starting to feel like it's more like the mid 90s. And I, people are starting to say what we said. Well, we made the joke that we believe it's the combination of Madonna, meaning Borderline. 1983, she came out with this great song named Borderline. And then Nirvana, Lithium. So what do you give a Borderline Personality Disorder? Lithium as a drug. To rec that's what I think the kind of market we're in. And I do that just to make people remember it, number one, but um, have a way to kind of assimilate and remember what was happening in the early 80s and the mid-90s. So I think people are coming around to that a little bit more. I, quite frankly, I don't want everybody to be saying that because if everybody was saying that, then I want to go the other way um, because I'm a contrarian by nature. And believe it or not, even though more people are bullish, I think there's still more, especially in Canada. I mean, we're, we're scared of our own shadows. But um, in terms of the world's coming to an end all the time, which I think Canada is a fantastic contrarian market. Be that as it may, I still think people are worried. They're always scared. They're so afraid to be wrong. They don't want to be right. And I think we're nowhere near any kind of bubble. We're nowhere near any kind of peak. We're nowhere near any kind of frothy market that I've experienced in my in my career. Can we talk a little bit about those, maybe some misconceptions? Because I want to talk about your position and how it differs from other strategists. Because like since I've been following your work, it feels like you've spent a lot of time not just trying to share your position, but like debunk often what a lot of other people are saying. And specifically when people start to get negative, like you just mentioned. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Well, I mean, everyone has, as they say in Canada, everyone has their process. And I, I would, it, this is a really tough job. This is a tough job. I love my job. Um, and one of the things I love about my job is that sometimes the screens are green and sometimes they're red and it's, prices change every day and it's challenging. Um, and it's kind of management by chaos. But I think that going back to the strategist community, it's really, um, it's become very disheartening, especially during the vid. Now, I, I, uh, I call COVID the vid, and I mean no disrespect. I actually stole that from Kevin Hart. I mean, Kevin Hart did a Netflix special about during COVID. He said, I got the vid. So I just call it the vid. So, you know, during the vid, I became so scared and we're hiding. I still think we have, I think we as a society, we in a business world still have a complex PTSD with respect to the vid. We can talk about that in terms of what that's done to the markets, but we become super negative. Oh, I, I mentioned earlier, we're so afraid to be wrong, we don't want to be right. Everybody wants to make the big bad bear call versus the big bad bull call. Uh, and I do think that going back to process, okay, process, economist should be economist, okay? Stay in your lane. I think, you know, one of the things that we're very happy about, and I can say proud because I'm not a prideful man, I'm a, uh, I'm a humble man. I do my job and I know what my job is. My job is not to forecast GDP. My job is not to forecast oil. My job is not to forecast interest rates. My job is to make people money in the stock market and forecast the United States stock market and Canadian stock market for Canada. Boom, drop the mic. It seems like so many people want to do everything. Um, just stay in your lane. That's disrespectful. That's number one. Number two, the majority of economists and strategists that, uh, of my lineage um, or the next generation up to macro, 
they're too quantitative. They're looking at screens. They're looking at formulas. They don't know how to read 401ks or 8ks or annual reports or talk to company managements or look at stocks or products or services. That's how I grew up in the business. I'm kind of a, I use a lot of pop culture when I talk. So I'm kind of a combination of Deadpool and Jesus Christ. So, so here's some pop culture. There's this movie called Stripes. Okay. This movie called Stripes and Bill Murray talks about I'm part of the lost and I'm, I'm part of the last generation, last of a lost generation. I'm part of the la lost generation, last of a lost generation of strategists, meaning I look at stocks, I see how stocks fit in the industries, industries and the sectors, and then I look at a sector and I'm saying, I want to figure out what kind of stock I want to own in that sector. What are the stocks in that sector that I really like, right? And are the, st are the stocks identifying the fundamental themes that we're seeing through our models in terms of the market? I don't think anybody thinks like that anymore. Everyone's trying to make the market call. So yeah, but market yeah. earnings and a market PE, and that's what your market target is. It's not that simple. I mean, this this is a really, really, really hard job, and I think people like to make the big call on the bear side. Um, and I, I think it's I think it's uh, I think it's disingenuous. Lastly, I'll tell you this: the little dirty secret on Wall Street is that the majority of of commissions on institutions. Now I mentioned earlier, I explained what institutions are. Institutions are mutual funds. Um, asset managers, uh, hedge funds, private equity, insurance companies, banks, uh, big trading companies that have all these products, ETFs, that kind of stuff. Um, the majority of institutional revenue that are, is paid to Wall Street and Bay Street comes from hedge funds. Okay, Why? Because they churn a lot. They create a lot of turnover, meaning they sell a lot of stocks and create a lot of commissions. So what does that mean? Well, guess what? The majority of hedge funds are negative or positive. Negative. So uh, guess what? They had an amazing year in 2022. In 2023, you know, I think bears are, I think bears are very narcissistic. Uh, they just want to keep on, you know, patting themselves on the back. So they pulled their muscle, like pulled their muscles, patting themselves on the back and how great 2022 was. And they got their butts kicked in 2023. I've so far have not sworn. So they got their butts kicked in 2023. This year, they're getting their butts kicked again. And so um, they're the majority of commissions come from, from, from hedge funds. So are the majority of strategists, are they negative or positive? Anyone? Anyone? Mm. Bueller? Bueller? Negative. So the number one highest rated strategist on Wall Street, the biggest bear. Think about that. Is that disingenuous? Yes, it is. I feel like the media contest, also I'm just contributes to kid this. From Minnesota. You know, I'm just a simple kid from Minnesota. I feel like we have to take some of the blame for this as members of the media because the bear stories are always more compelling to publish sexy a bull story right bears are sexy there's something very seductive about a bear they've got all of this i'll tell you 75 ways why you shouldn't shouldn't be bullish right now but oh by the way i'll back it up on page 72 of my business book of ut or or or, or western well actually right, you probably didn't go to class if you went to western just kidding so um Ooh, that shots fired. That was a joke. Shots I went to St. Claude State University, so that's pretty much the same thing. Um, no, everything's academic, but, but but the reason is is they got to prove it, right? They got to prove it. So, I mean, think about this, Taylor. Think about this. Do you live your life like a spreadsheet? So you live your life on a spreadsheet. So you're out. It's, is it? So it's Thursday night, right? So that means it's date. It, Thursday night's drinking night. Friday night's date night. Saturday night, everybody comes in from the suburbs, right? That's since COVID. That's how it works. So you're going out tonight. It's big. It's a big going out night, right? 
So are you going to live your life by how many Molson's you have? Like you're, like by, by number 25 on the spreadsheet? And you're going to say, I'm done. No, you're not. You're going to keep on going. Man. You're going to keep on going. And then tomorrow you're going to wake up and look at the mirror and say, I'm never drinking again. Then all of a sudden Friday night you're out with your honey. So I mean, that's that's the way life is. That's the, Too much of investing has become formulaic. I'm only going to go up to 25 and that's all I'm going to do. So they're so afraid to be wrong, they don't want to be right. So I, I have a question about what you said that you know, stocks drive earnings, which drive the economy. And then, so I'm wondering, I mean, what are the, what is the benefit of, I guess, that approach? What's the philosophy behind that approach versus this kind of trickle down ma macro themes where like everyone's watching what the Fed will do, what the Fed will do, and like watching <clears throat> that and expecting markets to react to, mm. you know, what the Fed does with rates? Well, the trick, it's a great question. The trickle down effect is that it actually works. The stocks are leading indicators of what's going to come. So think about this, right? So in 2022, the market got crushed, right? And already told you we're gonna have some sort of a slowdown in the economy. So then why did you need to say the market's not gonna go down until we have a recession? It made absolutely no sense, right? That's number one. Number two, in terms of the Fed watching, Fed funds futures have been wrong for the last year and now they're wrong for the next six months. Everyone, every, Fed funds futures were saying that we're gonna have an interest rate cut in, in March in the hedge funds and the negative people saying we're gonna have an interest rate cut in March, wrong. There was no analytical evidence from companies or from the economy that the, things were going to slow, but yet everybody was convinced. Did we have a rate cut? No. And we're not going to either, by the way. We're not going to. Um, and everybody said coming into this year, the same narrative. They can't get off the narrative, man. It's kind of like uh, waiting for Godot, chicken, a little bear. Uh, the sky's falling. Okay, the sky's falling. Well, maybe next year. I call it in my report, and I wrote all this down. All of this is published stuff that I write about. I call it the yeah, but bears. Yeah, but next year we'll have the recession. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but I get it. But um, at the end of the day, the earnings, the earnings situation in markets and in comp companies have actually improved relative to last year. The, the median growth rate for the S&P 500 earnings growth for, for the fourth quarter was negative point. What is it now? 7%. I, I was just going to ask if you, if you worry at all about how other people who don't share this view are responding to, you know, Fed decisions. Are, are you worried that stock prices have gone up because people are baking in these rate cuts that ultimately may not materialize as we just have seen with March, which is, you know, yeah. as you said, not going to cut? Yeah, I don't. Well, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because many of these people that thought we're going to get the rate cut were, there's an equal amount of people that thought we're going to rate cut because we're going to have a recession that mm. people thought we're going to rate cut the lower rates mean uh, put the put the accelerator down in in the risk profile by tech stocks, right? So I think that's that that if they're kind of equal, um, I I think no matter what, if you're a bear, you're going to spin it spin it any way you want. So um, if if the Fed doesn't cut all year long, the, the bears are going to come out inflation. It's inflation. Uh, they're going to spin it. If, if inflation rolls over and growth rolls over, then we're going to be talking about deflation. We're in a deep, we're in Japan. You're going to mm. start hearing that kind of stuff. Um, and I, we just don't see any kind of evidence of that. So I guess what, you know, if you are bullish, what themes are you bullish about heading into this year? Are there specific sectors and areas that you're enthusiastic about or interested in? Well, here's the theme. Uh, I talked a little bit about pop culture. Um, and so here's a pop culture theme. There's this movie from 2000, 2008 called Semi-Pro. 
It's with Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell just put out a really cool BMO commercial in Los Angeles, by the way, for our big BMO oh, yeah? we're doing in California. We'll, we'll yeah, link it in the show notes. have to find that. Check it out on the interweb machine. I think it's here to stay, this W thing. Anyway, um, there's, a, there's a movie called Semi-Pro, and, and uh, his way of thinking is everybody love everybody, E-L-E. And he talks about that. So in my report, in my year ahead piece, I wrote my 11th consecutive forecast on behalf of BMO Financial Group in terms of the U.S., in the Canadian stock markets. And in my section in terms of size and style, so large cap or small cap sectors and um, growth and value, everybody love everybody. What does that mean? I want you to own a little bit of everything. And so you own some large, you own some small, you own some in the United States, you own growth, you own value. And from a thematic perspective in terms of sectors, that's why we like technology for growth and financials for value it's very contrary but not all financials um in canada uh, we think canada is actually going to outperform the u.s in 2024 given the fact that everybody's negative in canada it's already priced in some sort of recession we're overweight four sectors in canada communication services consumer discretionary financials and tech so think about it as Shopify, the go, 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 mo, mo, jojo stock, TD, the stock that everybody loves to hate right now. I love to buy companies when everybody's negative on them. Uh, communication services was the worst performing sector last year in Canada, but rates will come down from here and rate, rate sensitive areas work very well in this type of market. And Canadian clients love income, right? And so the Bells, the the, t- the Telluses and the Rogers. And then finally, consumer discretionary. Our work has shown that the consumer discretionary sector in Canada outperforms when the market thinks it's going into recession and coming out of recession. So here's the, here's the proof. Sarah asked it earlier. Stocks lead earnings, which lead the economy. All you got to do is go on the internet machine and take a look at the chart at a, of a Ritzia stock the last year to date or six months. Just take a look at it. What does it look like? Dollarama. Canadians think they're saving money going down to Dollarama. You know that Dollarama has increased their reached their prices eight out of the last 10 quarters. Same source sales is up 25% the last four to six quarters, but we're saving money because we're going into recession. It's the greatest, it was one of the greatest stocks ever in Canada. Kustar, amazing company, amazing company. Uh, the, a lot of things I've learned in the last 12 years in, in working for BMO is that Canada is a stock picker's paradise. And it's, it's a market of, of cyclicals and value that you can play. It's not just about the banks, not just about the oil companies, not just about metals. There's a lot of amazing companies in Canada. And if you're a stock picker like we are, we have the great fortune of running portfolios for private wealth in both Canada and the United States. We've had an opportunity to invest and have some success in that. So what is it that you like about Canadian stocks? Because you talked a little bit about how like you'll pick a sector and then like within the sector, you'll look for like the bright spot, which like I guess like an example is like, there being something in financials and then you know out of all that we pick td and that's a that's a winner maybe we hope so what does well, that process look like what are you looking for so we think very thematically like for canadian banks we want to be centered in those banks that have business in the united states why because that's the growth engine so i think of i think of the canadian banking sector um it's a cartel right heads of the five families we're in the godfather so you, got, you know, the heads of the five families are in Canada, right? Just like the heads of the five families in Canada, in, in, the United, in New York. It's five families, the cartel, because of the five boroughs of New York. So uh, Manhattan, right? Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, um, and um, Bronx. The Bronx, okay? 
Was the five, has the five fans. And then there's Yonkers. That's kind of the sixth one, but nobody Yonkers really talks bro. about that. Would that very be, would applicable. That very, very applicable to the end of the five families in Canada, right? Nice blue, nice blue, evil blue, greeny, Ola, the Contrarian Bank, and Frenchie. Frenchie is, is national. Okay. Um, uh, Contrarian Bank is CIBC. Do whatever they're not doing. Uh, Ola is Scotiabank. Why? They're in, they're in Latin America. Again, why? And then Greeny is TD. Evil Blues RBC. Nice Blues BMO. Now, how does a cartel work? A cartel works because you stay in your lane, man. Stay in your lane. Every once in a while, you have a war, but we, we, we essentially stay in our lane. So the three banks centered on growth in the United States are BMO. BMO is the commercial bank in the United States and Canada, right? RBC is the wealth management bank in the United States. And TD is the consumer bank. Now, TC, TD got over their skis a little bit. The first horizon thing didn't work out. Cowan, we don't know yet. So what is TD doing? Bad down the hatches, man. Fire people, buy back stock, pay a bigger dividend. It, TD is to Canada what Citigroup is. To, you want to buy banks when they're cutting people and cutting costs. Okay, That's exactly the right time to buy by uh, bank and so of the three i mean we love all three of course we love bmo not just because we work there but but i think it's because of, of the great um um job that daryl white has done since he's become ceo and the amalgamation of growth that he has by buying buying these other assets including bank of the west and in the united states and t and rbc is the juggernaut but in terms of td um we think that that bank is is severely uh um, mispriced right now, and just, and we're playing on the emotions of Canadians. How are you feeling about? I guess you mentioned that there's a lot of opportunity in Canada. Where do you see it specifically? Because I'm sh I'm struggling to kind of square this idea that there's like this really negative market center sentiment that's kind of baked into into Canada, which could keep kind of dragging things down. Um, and then there's still kind of being opportunity, and you know, to to the degree that we could see performance beyond what we see in the U.S. Well, <clears throat> I think. There's always stocks to buy, even in sectors that we don't like. Like, for instance, we don't like industrials. We think they're really expensive. But if you take a look at a stock like Tormont, amazing company, amazing, amazing, amazing company, right? Um, or you look in, in consumer discretion, as I said, Aritzia versus, let's say, Canada Goose going in the different directions that you have to be a stock picker. In, in uh, consumer staples, staples have become very expensive. Like Loblaw is a very expensive stock um, because of what's gone on in inflation. And a lot of, a lot of their revenues have been based on on increasing food prices, if food prices and, and inflation is going to roll over, that's that stock might have a little bit harder time. But Kushtar, juggernaut, right? So there's individual names in Canada that you can own. Uh, on the energy front, I think energy in Canada is better positioned than energy in the United States. We're officially neutral, but second half of the year, I think as global growth begins to solidify a little bit, that'll benefit Canada. And we like we like the bigger companies in, in Canada in terms of oil and energy, like Suncor, Enbridge, Trap, because they, they have big balance sheets and they pay big dividends. And they're better managed than, than the U.S. companies. So there's opportunities there. And again, the financials. So I think, you know, financials to me in both markets are the contrarian call because everyone got freaked out about the supposed financial crisis last year. It wasn't mm. it was three bad apples, three bad apples that messed it up for everybody. Canadians are just used to the five big banks and Frenchie. Um, and they don't understand that there are, there are six, no, there's 4,000 banks in the United States of America, 4,000 in six publicly traded banks. 
Okay. So they saw these three banks and they're like, the banks in Canada have over-reserved, meaning they put too much money aside. The big banks in the United States have put too much money aside. I think the big banks in Canada, especially the ones I talked about, um, are underinvested by institutional clients. And I think they're going to have a huge bounce back here. Uh, are you worried about regional banks in the U.S.? No, um, because uh, uh, the Basel Agreement is going to come off and it's going to be less stringent, number one. It's not part of our primary theme, Taylor. Our primary theme are big banks, uh, the exact opposite of what happened post the credit crisis. After the credit crisis in 2009, everybody wanted to be in a regional or small bank because they were involved with all the craziness that was happening in terms of credit default swaps and the real estate markets and things like that. So they were shunning Bank of America and buying a credit union. What we think is going to end up happening, and we've seen it in our work so far in the stocks that we own, the really, really big banks and the really, really small banks are going to do well. The regional banks are not going to do as well. I think there's going to be massive consolidation in the, in the regional banks. We don't buy assets because they, we think they're going to get bought out. We buy assets, meaning companies, because they're fundamentally sound. So that's why we like Bank of America. Bank of America, because of Merrill Lynch and the thundering herd and the wealth management and the consumer bank, fantastic Citigroup because of it's a turnaround, they're cutting costs, they're re refocusing Morgan Stanley because it's the last of the lot, uh, last of the big shop uh, broker dealers, Goldman Sachs, because I do think the second half of the year, we're going to have a massive re-rating in IPOs. So I mentioned earlier that, um, that you can't have froth, right? Uh, we have had no, we can't have a market top without a lot of M&A mergers and acquisitions, a lot of investment banking deals. We're not seeing any of them. So that, that's one of the things that we fight against when we hear a lot of strategists saying, we are as frothy and toppy as we were uh, during the technology boom. No, we're not. No, we're not. Speaking of frothy, I, I want to ask you about two uh, themes, I guess, in particular. One being AI uh, and the other being these GLP-1 weight loss drugs. How do you navigate, uh, I guess, spaces like that where the company's, you know, the stock price of you know, super microcomputer is up like a thousand percent in the past year. So when you see a, a trend like that emerging, do you try to ride that? How do you think about that? Did you go to Tim Hortons today? No, I did not. Do you ever go to Tim Hortons? Uh, not really. <laughs> you go to Popeye's shit. Chicken? What restaurant? What's, what's, the, what's the last restaurant you went to? Oh, uh, Earl's. I went to Earl's. Yeah, Earl's. <laughs> hey, there's nothing well, wrong so with Earl's. Here's where I'm going. Timmy's is an AI stock. McDonald's is an AI stock. Okay. Bank of, uh, Bank of Nova Scotia is an AI stock. Okay. I guess all the banks are AI stocks. Yeah. Explain what, what do you mean by that? <laughs> when you walk into McDonald's tomorrow morning, you had your 75 Molson 90s or whatever tonight thinking, yeah, I'm never drinking again. You walk into McDonald's and you get that big Diet Coke and the Egg McMuffin, you eat the grease, a little caffeine. Um, the next time you walk in, they're not exactly what you want, and they're going to have it ready for you. They're going to know your name. This is where this is going. Okay, this is where this is going. Now, we're AI believers because we think there's an efficiency standpoint in that. We believe AI is not going to take away employment. It's actually going to increase employment. So if your children, those of you listening out there, first-time listener, long-term caller, long-term caller, first-time listener, whatever, um, if your children are at university right now, tell them to switch their, um, switch their majors and they should become engineers because we need to be able to read all this data. 
that's coming through and we need to implement this data. So NVIDIA, which everyone loves, we've, we were very lucky with much humility, very lucky we bought NVIDIA, what year is it, 2024? We bought it in 2017. We bought it in 2017. And the reason why we bought it was there was this company called Activision, Call of Duty. And NVIDIA was, was putting the chips in these gamers, game, mm. right? And then, and then Activision had some of its issues um, internally, as you may or may not know. So we took our entire Activision position and put it in, in NVIDIA. And then, then Tesla got really hot, right? What's the, te- what's the number one EV chip maker? NVIDIA, right? Number two. Number three, AI. Uh, now, NVIDIA from a product perspective. Now, this is where stock picking is. So you don't have to own all semiconductor companies. You want to own the best, right? And the two best products in semiconductor land are AMD and NVIDIA. Well, by the way, we both, we own those, right? We sold Intel a few years ago because they've been losing for a long time. Well, supposedly Intel's coming out with some great chip next year. That remains to be seen. You don't have to own everything, right? So we think AI is going to be in everything. It's going to be a major component to growth. It's going to be a major component to deflation. It's going to be a major component to efficiency going forward from banks to railroads to Burger King to Morton's owned by to Canadian Tire to Kushtar to whatever. It's going to be in everything. So we think that's a really big theme. And, and it's easy to get excited about Supermicro up a gazillion percent just by good companies. Whether or not that company's going to be around uh, in 10 years, we don't know that, but we know mm-hmm. NVIDIA is going to be around. Okay. Interesting. So when you look at, um, I guess, like a, I don't know, a company about NVIDIA, and we take it almost back to like the big tech, I think the thing that has been like on my mind is that you just see these soaring valuations and like these $3 trillion companies. And then, um, you know, if you're not already invested in these companies, I think the question is like, can these companies keep creating value and can they keep kind of growing at a meaningful rate? So, I guess like we had this crazy year last year in terms of like growth of the growth stocks. And so is that going to like subside this year? Are they going to keep going at the rate that they have? Like how much room is there to grow for these companies? Well, so there's a couple of ways to think about this. Um, we've said for a long time, even when someone from this panel used to work at Facebook, BMO, that there's That's certain sweet. tech stocks that are actually like consumer staple stocks, right? And so like this thing here, this is a consumer staples, meaning holding up an iPhone. Yeah, for, for listeners, for I'm listeners. holding up an iPhone, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, an iPhone is like is like General Mills, like a cereal company now, right? Or or a soup company. Mm. Sorry, so is Microsoft. Um, so is Google. So is Netflix. And so, if you think about if you think about um, how, what these companies have been able to do, so Apple is mobile. Google is search. Amazon is retail. Um, Microsoft is software. Facebook slash meta social, right? NVIDIA, AI. Netflix, streaming. We've owned Netflix for 10 years. And we believe Netflix was kind of the first thing we talked about in terms of being a consumer staple. Netflix is the Kleenex of streaming. They're Kleenex, right? What are you going to do? I'm going to go Netflix. Even though you might be watching something on a creative, I'm going to Netflix, right? So going back to your question about valuation, I will caution the listener slash watcher that you should never, 
ever, ever sell a stock based on valuation. In fact, valuation is the worst predictor of future performance. Now, from a longer term perspective, it's very good, but we all know that investors have attention spans of Nats, especially the media, and especially uh, hedge funds and institutional accounts. So if you're, if you're selling a stock because you think it's expensive, you may miss out on a lot. You sell a stock because something fundamentally is wrong with it. Something's fundamentally wrong. And so if I go back and look at 2023 and you think about the tech sector had three very specific different rallies, three different rallies. Rally number one was in January. It's called the January effect, meaning the best stock, the worst, the worst performing stocks in 2022 were the best performing stocks in January. Which one were they? Oh, tech stocks. Nobody believed it. Nobody Nobody wanted to call me and talk to me in 2022 because I was wrong and I was, you know, I was positive, like Belsky, a blowhard, blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, I remember the first week in January, I was on vacation and my phone was blowing up. Everyone had talked to me because these tech stocks were ripping. They didn't know why. Well, guess what? They were oversold and the 30, 30 day tax loss thing came in and everyone started to buy these positions again. That was number one. Okay. Number two happened in March, coming up almost a year ago when the financial crisis happened. And the three bad eggs did what they did out West, right? Everybody sold their banks because early in 2023, I'm just talking facts, actually value was outperforming. It was the big stocks, but it was actually value was outperforming the first quarter until the banks started to roll over. Then everybody sold their banks and went and bought Magnificent Seven. Lastly, AI. The AI was the, was the icing on the cake, right? So... I think that these stocks are going to be leaders for a while. You don't have to own all of them. We believe that um, five of the seven are kind of core holdings in all equity portfolios. Um, we've started, we talked about in October of last year that we were seeing dispersion within um, the, the, uh, the Magnificent Seven, and that's sure bearing fruit. Look at Tesla's performance recently. Look what happened to Meta recently. Look how Apple kind of tripped around a little bit. Look how NVIDIA has just taken over and actually got, it was bigger than Amazon at one point. Um, and so um, I think these names are core names. You just have to be careful. And depending upon if it's too late or not, it all depends by your risk tolerance and, you know, what your time frame is. Hmm. Uh, you got another five minutes? Sure. Okay. I want to talk about some of the, or ask you about some of the risks that you hear a lot about. Uh so, I mean, the first one that we can start with, and just to get your perspective on whether this is something people should actually be worried about or something that is overstated, uh, inflation reacceleration risks. So inflation comes back in hot. Central banks have to, you know, hike or stay high for longer. Is that a real risk? No, I don't think so. I think, I think that's textbook stuff. People think it's like the 1970s again. No, people mm -hmm. forget because they don't do the work. That the 1970s, we had an oil embargo. Um, we had a, a dual recession. Um, and then leading into this, okay, leading into this, um, we had an administration prior to when Nixon resigned, like in the early 70s, we're, we're trying to unwind the Vietnam War, okay? And Nixon was trying to cap wages, okay? He was trying to cut wages, whereas current guy is trying to give everybody free money, like wages are going up. So it's a very different environment. 
So I think that's classic macro going back to the 70s. Well, Fed made a mistake. and There's no analytical evidence of any kind of inflation coming back. Oh, the hot CPI print? It wasn't hot, brothers and sisters. It increased 0.1. It was, it was 0.3 the last two. Supercore was 0.3 the last two months. Of course it went up in January. You know why? Because everyone was, was spending money and going on vacation. That's all that was. Mm. It's going to drop off pretty dramatically the next couple of months. Okay. Um, what about geopolitical risk? Like if you look at uh, Russia putting nuclear weapons in space, which I guess was the latest news that came out yesterday. Uh, or even that it's a big election year. Or, or election, just stuff like that. Oh, do, you, do you think that. about that or do you, do, <laughs> do you block out all that stuff? All right. So I love the, the geopolitical thing and, and, the, and the, uh, the threat of nuclear war thing. I love it. So uh, I, this is my advice. Go ahead and build a doomsday portfolio. You know why? Because he can never collect on it. So go ahead. God bless you. Um, you know, my job as a, as a Christian man is to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly, right? So I, I can humbly say that my country is the laughing stock of the world. We have two octogenarians running for president. One is an egotistical narcissist that is, is a non-objective, has thin skin, and can never apologize. The other one has to be hopped up on Diet Mountain Dew, Red Bull, Adderall, and cocaine just to walk. So you can decide which one's which. But all yeah. I'm going to say is Tell this. That's how you really feel, Brad. Politics have nothing to do with the absolute performance of the stock market. Politics have nothing to do with the absolute performance of the stock market. It's everything that's going on in the stock market, in the, in the underlying companies, in the economy. Here is the proof. 2020, right? Everybody and their mother, brother, sister, cousin, uncle was scared because Joe Biden wins. And it's a, it's a blue wave. We got the presidency. We got the House. We got the Senate. They're going to put regulations and taxes and all this stuff, right? And it's going to kill the bull market. So I write this report, give them all the facts, say, you know, when a Democrat takes over for a Republican, it's typically good, historically, blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, by the way, politics have nothing to do with this. You know, has everything to do with it? Zero percent interest rates, drop the mic. Mm. Were stocks up or down in 2021? Up a lot. Why? Because there was free money, probably up too much. And too much free money, which ultimately uh, wipe, wipe everything out in 2022. But now we're starting to get back into normalization. Now we're kind of get, get back into that. So, uh, again, don't get politicians. The worst thing you can do is give politicians too much credit. Okay, last one. Last one. I, have a last couple, one for... I do have. Okay. That's good. <laughs> I do have a couple that ahead. I'm hoping to squeeze okay. in. What about uh, China? You know, you got the markets doing poorly there. There seems to be some economic trouble. Lots of you know, important trade with China that does impact the economy and maybe a way that politics doesn't. Uh, is that a risk? No. Uh, here's why. Um, you know, we've been bearish China for 10 years and it hasn't been a popular call at BMO because we like to think about being international. There's no reason to buy it. There's no reason to buy Chinese stocks. Here, so I had a very good fortune a long time ago before you two were born. I met um, Warren Buffett and Peter Lynch first kind of 12 months of my career. And both of them said the same thing. Never buy a stock until you, unless you can reach out and touch it. And I've lived and died by that, mostly lived. And so why would I, I can't reach, I don't, I don't, I don't know what Timu does. I don't, I don't know how much, what they're actually, how they actually make money. What is, how did Alibaba end the, how do you, how do you end that sentence? Alibaba and the 40 thieves, right? They're thieves. Um, they've been cheating for years. They have a shadow banking system. 
They have an aging demographic, okay? Uh, from, a, from a thematic perspective and cultural perspective, they don't spend money, okay? We in Western society, especially America, Canada to some degree, uh, but America, we spend money like drunken sailors, brothers and sisters. We love to go. Well, you can't walk by a Lulu without, we, without going in. I'm getting in line. You cannot walk into a Lulu without walking out with something. I you can. just cannot. You can't. Uh, it's like crack. In China, they build company, they build cities, they build buildings, they build stuff, but they're not buying anything because they just don't do it. That's number one. Number two, this whole aging demographic thing is a big deal. Number three, this happened way before the tariffs went in. Onshoring is a real theme in North America. It's a real theme. Mm. Now, the USMCA is a real, real agreement. And it doesn't matter if you make it in Monterey, Mexico, or London, Ontario. We're gonna, it's not about number of widgets. It's about how fast you can get that widget. And that's what's happening. And AI is only going to make that bigger. I think China's in trouble. China's a house of cards. Right now, it's the second biggest economy. Yeah, it's done this the last 10 years. The United States continues to do this. Japan's now number four. Uh, but and Germany's gone up mostly because of currency as of late. But at the end of the day, the United States of America is still the world's largest economy. And Canada's coming along for the ride. I have to ask you how internet culture is changing investing. Because like we saw, obviously, like, the pandemic, the Wall Street bets, you saw, I, you see this craziness of this like information and the speed at which it travels and how quickly it can impact stock prices. And I'm wondering if you have a, a take on that. Sarah, of course I have a take on this. I mean, come on. It's like, come, Play it come, on back us. To, come back to daddy, come back to daddy. Some of these people have lost so much money because they have no process and no discipline. And they got greedy. Um, and that's great. Here's the good thing that they, here, there's the good news in this is that they discovered that you can actually buy equities and companies actually mean something, right? Whether or not it's the GameStop stuff and you're valuing the, valuing the company and all that kind of thing, your AMC and all that, and, and that, there was something to some of that. Obviously, then it became supply demand and all that kind of stuff. But at the, at the forefront, stocks go up or down based on fundamentals, not because of technicals or things like that. Because all a chart is, is, is a picture of consensus fundamental opinion, period, Okay. So I think that's the good thing. The bad thing is a lot of people lost money. A lot of people lost money. Um, and where it is good for us is that come back and find a relationship manager uh, and have proper asset allocation and the like. But I think the overall thing was good because actually it learned that we could we can invest again and it became exciting again. But in terms of this world of, of doing this all the time and eh, nobody knows how to Nobody, we still have complex PTSD. We can't shake people's hands. We can't make eye contact. It's hard to, I, I think people don't know how to write anymore or speak. And so I think going back to work is going to be a really, really good thing. So I'm really looking forward to um, Canada starting to embrace more five days a week in the office. One takeaway going into 2024 that you would give investors to end this podcast. Uh, turn off the television. Um, Turn off the television, uh, except when I'm on. (laughs) Unsubscribe from the newsletter that we write every day. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, I think there's just too much noise. Yeah. So I was, I remember a long time ago, again, before you were born, um, we used to be able to bring our kids to kids to kids to work day. And um, I was on, there used to be this financial network called CNN FM. 
So it was part of CNN, but CNN Financial News. And my son came on TV with me on Bring Your Son or Child to School Week. And, and um, so he said, the anchor said, you know, what do you, what, what stock do you like, Jake? And Jake said, well, I like Disney. And he said, why do you like Disney? Because I know what they do. I know what they do. Wisdom. Buy, buy companies that you know what they do. You know what Apple does. You know what Microsoft does. You know what Google does, the Google machine, right? You know what Netflix does. You know what Shopify does. You know, you know what restaurant brand slash quick service restaurant. You get your gas at Circle K. You go buy your clothes at Aritzia. Uh, you jump on the train at CP or CN. Uh, uh, you jump on an airplane uh, at CAE. No, Air Canada. But just kidding. Delta. Um, but um, buy stuff that you know, right? Don't buy stuff just because you think it's going up. Buy stuff that you know and that you can live with every day. Excellent advice. Hot takes. Always with you, Brian. Thank you so much for yeah, coming that was on. Fun. I, that was and great. I challenge everyone to go into a Lulu and not buy Try something. Try not to buy something. Oh, my something. God. The socks? It's all I wear now is the Lulu socks. <laughs> telling you. Yeah. All right. Well, another fascinating episode with Brian. I will say every time I hear this man speak, it's so um refreshing he's a contrarian but he he has the facts to back it up yeah that was really fun i really enjoyed that yeah so what are your what are your thoughts and takeaways i think the biggest takeaway for me i think and i guess when you see so much negativity in the news i think something that brian kind of ha- like hammers really you know really intensely is like kind of cut out the noise right and it's like really just focus on the underlying fundamentals of stocks ever since i started listening to brian like six seven however many years ago he's been saying the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, usually he gets it, he gets it right. And so I think as someone who is just like everyone else, reading the headlines, getting a bit anxious, feeling the pessimism that's out there, um, it's so easy to get scared and like make investment decisions that kind of reflect that. Um, And so I feel kind of comforted by the fact that maybe, uh, you know, kind of that there could be a bit of a bit of a bit more smoke out there, I guess. Yeah, 100%. I feel like especially for us, because we read the news probably way Constantly. more than, yeah, we read the news all the time <laughs> and write a newsletter about it. You really do get exposed to just like a ton of negative sentiment and uh, bearish sentiment. And yeah, it was reassuring to hear someone, you know, with Brian's uh, credentials and experience sort of say, look, forget about that stuff. What we're really talking about here are companies and how are the companies doing? I guess it's like, it's in what he said. Like, I think it's, it must be hard to be Brian, first of all, because you're the one guy that's kind of like saying, no, things are actually this way and like trying to turn people around. But Mm -hmm. it's like, if you think about it, it's kind of, it is safer to be a bear, right? Because if things go wrong, you can always say that like, ah, yes, there, there was this, there was the thing that I was like, you know, that I was, that I was telling you about. And I yeah. feel like for whatever reason, it feels like it is easier to be the the negative one in the room. You don't get a movie made about you for correctly calling a bull market, right? But if you're Michael Burry, <laughs> you get the big short That's made after true. you. And I always think about that because he pops up on Twitter every now and then and is like, the apocalypse is here basically. And it's like, never comes to fruition obviously and even that movie ends with you know a prediction about him making a bet on water scarcity and it's like well that we, really hasn't we panned need out to either, stop so. with the movies for people that just make one right call 
because yeah. I'm kind of sick of it a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> okay. I but was- it's to your point, you know, you make one big right call <laughs> on on the short side and uh, you get, you know, the Hollywood treatment. 100%. I'm wondering whether you're taking any investment advice out of this conversation. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think I'm like prone to being negative just by disposition. Like I'm, oh, I'm very uh, paranoid <laughs> about, <laughs> you know, what's going on in the world and, you know, what, sure, what, yeah. what's, what's the central You're bank going to do? And well, in this regard, <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I'm very paranoid about that stuff. And I think that, uh, you know, it's good to get a different perspective. Totally. Uh, for me, I was also really interested in his explanation of why, you know, you shouldn't be betting, you shouldn't be trading predictions about the macro environment. Like you shouldn't be trading on what you think the Fed is going to do and how, you know, these forecasts that people make are not necessarily grounded in reality. I think we got a reminder of that this week when everyone was saying Fed's going to cut in March, Fed's going to cut in March. And it took, a, you know, a very, very small miss on the uh, consumer price index. And suddenly it's like the Fed's definitely not cutting in March. Like these things can turn on a dime. Um, whereas what he was talking about makes a lot of sense. Like look at the companies. What do they do? Are they good companies? Yeah. No, it's uh, it's it's definitely not as uh, fickle as that too. I also think the thing that's messing with me and that I'm taking away is like almost this like, how you can kind of transcend sectors, like you pin, uh, you know, an Apple into, you know, a tech company, but is it a consumer good? Is it actually more of a consumer staple? Is Tim Hortons an AI company? Like there's, it Mm. seems actually that like, there's a bigger picture way to think about these companies as technology gets better, as they kind of achieve this kind of household staple status. And like, that's a really important thing to be mindful of as well. And like mm-hmm. reminding yourself like McDonald's, you know, is it a tech company? Is it, do they sell burgers? Like maybe they sell both, but that part's interesting too. Yeah. Well, really interesting stuff. You know, I know myself well enough to know that I cannot pick stocks. So I'm just going to continue to buy index funds and uh, leave it at that. But for all those people who out there want to try their hand. <laughs> want to try and I think that is a great episode to inform their thinking. Definitely. And we'll link out, we'll link Brian's outlook in the show notes for those of you who want to read as well. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Free Lunch. If you want to listen to other episodes just like this one, you can find us on Spotify uh, and search past episodes there. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next week. <laughs>